What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 99. Let's go. The post-trade deadline episode. 99 problems, but a trade ain't one, Skyler. Let's go. A lot of big ones here. Uh, We'll eventually talk about all of them for a little bit, but there's a couple big ones, a couple, um, of course, superlatives we'll get to. Yeah. And hope everyone's happy with it. Yeah. It was a big day in baseball yesterday. Reason we're doing this episode on Wednesday, you might be curious, because I was on a cross country flight yesterday. So I wasn't able to do the podcast and probably figured it'd be better to just do it now rather than. A day before where we wouldn't have talked about any of the trades and whatnot. So yeah. we're doing it now. And we're getting it started with the opener. Skylar, this one's pretty obvious for you. What do you have as the best thing that you saw this past week? I'm just, it may be a little obvious here, but just the entire trade deadline. This is one of the craziest weekends we've had in about five years. It's been a, a pretty big one. I don't want to spoil any, any of my takes yet, um, but RAs were included. So it yeah. was uh, definitely uh, nerve-wracking. Yeah, for sure. it was very nerve-wracking. A's didn't make as many moves as we thought they might, but still a big one in there. We'll talk more about that, specifically on the A's perspective of it in the second half of our show. My opener, I want to talk about the Hall of Fame because yes. I went to the Cooperstown MLB Pro Baseball, whatever they call it, MLB Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Just uh, two days ago now at this point. Uh, first time I've, I've ever been there. A lot of people Very went nice. there when they were 12, 11 years old for a tournament. I didn't go to Cooperstown then. So it was good to 13. make up for that missed time now and see that. Uh, David Ortiz got inducted the week before I got there. So the crowd wasn't anything crazy. And I got to see the brand new plaques and stuff. And so that was really cool. whole bunch of new stuff in there as well. How was the uh, Bonds didn't... plaque looking? Oh, the Bonds pack was amazing, man. I just, I couldn't find it. I don't know. It was weird. I was looking all over for it, but I couldn't find that one. The Pete Rose one, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, any yeah. of those guys. But uh, it was definitely a fun experience, and I recommend you go ahead and do that once you get the chance. Also, another thing before we go on, played some golf for yeah. the first time in about a year and a half. And, you know, you'd expect, you know, first time golfing about a year and a half go ahead and get on an easy course you know keep your confidence up you know you're not going to lose a ton of balls uh but we ended up playing the second hardest course in the state of new york (laughs) (laughs) and so i lost about five balls on six holes and i was sitting out for most of the time after that but uh it was a beautiful course pretty cool place uh, in upstate new york and uh yeah so that's so my past week has been, let's go ahead and get to the Macket Sports Player of the Week, but this time it's not a player. The first time ever we have a GM as our Player of the Week, and that is San Diego Padres GM AJ Preller when he pulled off a couple massive deals uh, the past couple of days. Obviously the Juan Soto one, Josh Hader is another big one, and then Brain Injury as well. Uh, going to the Padres, and we're not forgetting about Josh Bell and that Juan Soto trade. Just Soto's going to be the headliner for that one. Uh, but Bell's obviously an all-star level talent as well. So congrats to AJ Preller, and hopefully he gets a ring to go along with his Immaculate Sports Player of the Week. 
Well Team reports. Skyler, what do you got about the Jets? Is a uh, training camp is it's going, it's going. Yeah, so, man. I, I'm trying not to uh, look too too much into the little stuff. Like, oh, you know, Wilson threw a pick today. Wilson was eight for eight today, but Wilson was eight for eight today. So that's cool to hear. They were the guys who were there were saying this is the first time he's looked locked in in the you know so far after a week. Uh, defense has been amazing. They've said Quentin Williams, all the new players on the defense, Sauce in the secondary. They say Elijah Moore's looking like a pro bowler, which is pretty crazy since we haven't had many of those walk through training camp. You can kind of tell when one is there. Yeah. And Brees Hall looking good too so far. So that's about it for the Jets. Don't want to take too much from that, but some good news so far. I have seen that Brees Hall had really good rookie of the year odds. So that's yeah. an encouraging sign for mm. the Jets fans, I assume, even though that doesn't really equivalent to anything quite yet. But just seeing that he's in that recognition right now is pretty good to see, yeah. of course. Uh, as far as Raiders training camp goes, Raiders are in Canton, Ohio right now. They play in the Hall of Fame game tomorrow. Yeah. But there is a couple injuries to note uh, from this past week. Micah Kaiser. Uh, linebacker out for the year. He got placed on injured reserve as well as linebacker Kyler Fackrell. So both those guys who were inserted into this defense just a couple months ago are obviously out for the rest of the year now. I don't think they said what the exact injury is, but I think it's both the knee stuff or something like that. Besides that, though, a lot of good stuff coming from camp. Tyron Johnson, Matt Collins have been two big standouts, apparently. Uh, Tyron Johnson's a Guy that would be pretty interesting to see how he does because he's got a lot of speed. He's a really good special teamer. Uh, he was a deep threat for the Chargers a couple years ago and came to the Raiders last year when we needed some gunners uh, and mm-hmm. returners at some point in the season. And he ended up playing pretty well for us and stuck around into the offseason. And it's good to see that he's doing well now in training camp this year. But football gets started back up tomorrow night when the Raiders play the Jags, even though we're probably going to be seeing – Jared Sidham, Chase Garbers, and maybe even Nick Mullins tomorrow night for the silver yeah. and black. But no injuries for us, too, so far that are big. Knock on knock on the wood. That's always good. Yeah. It's very scary this time of the year. You kind of just oh, – yeah. every single Bracing. tweet you look at, you're, you're holding your breath whenever it says your team's name. But uh, let's go ahead and get to our favorite player – that represents number 99 because it is episode 99. Skyler, who do you yeah. got here? I'm going to go with Jets defensive end from the 80s, Mark Gastineau. Uh, just a ridiculous guy here. Had the sack record in 84 with 22. Since been broken uh, with the extra game, but we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but anyway, no, this guy is... Uh, not in the Hall of Fame because everybody hated him. He pretty much created the sack dance. He was really aggressive and flamboyant, if you want to say, on the field and uh, went to prison eventually, too. Uh, but a Jets legend for sure. Yeah. I'm going to talk about a dude who wasn't known for wearing 99, but when he went to L.A., he wore number 99, and that's Manny Ramirez. Obviously, wore 24 most of his career with the Red Sox. But when he went to L.A. in 2008, that's where the 99 Manny broke loose. Uh, In 53 games in the second half of 2008, he had 17 home runs, 53 RBIs, hit 396, good for an OPS of 1,232. 
So he was going ham in that second half, and then also had a good 20 or 2009 as well for the Dodgers before going to the White Sox in 2010 and then eventually ended his career in 2011 with the Rays, oddly enough, or last pro major league ball with the Rays in 2012 or 2011. But Manny, that's our guy, man. Yeah. They grew up watching him. And uh, that's my favorite number, 99. Let's go ahead and get to the spotlight now. Tell me about the Saints' first-round pick this past year. Yeah, first-round pick Trevor Penning, the tackle from Northern Iowa, uh, has been very aggressive in camp so far. Uh, Getting into three fights in a row, even kicked out of practice today. And I know it doesn't sound great, but I I do want to just – just shout out to the Saints fan. It's nice to have a first-round pick who cares that much. We want him to be over-aggressive with the defense of a different team, not his own team, but I think this is something he can fix and be an absolute mauler. So uh, just, you know, some extra football news. That's yeah. interesting. The Trevor Penning stuff, you can kind of take it both ways. You can take yeah. it, oh, this guy's really undisciplined, and maybe this is going to cost him some personal fouls once we get to the regular season. Or you can look at it the way Skyler did, and he just wants to be out there. He's fighting for everything, and that heart and passion is something that a lot of teams look for from the rookies very early on in their career. I want to talk about the captain, the ESPN Plus show that's going on right now about Derek Jeter. It's very similar to The Last Dance uh, with Michael Jordan that we saw about a year and a half ago. Very cool series, though. There's been four episodes out. I'm three episodes in right now, so I haven't seen that fourth episode quite yet. I believe it's going to be a seven-part series in total. It just mm. goes over the entire career of Derek Jeter. He's obviously lived a pretty insane life uh, stemming from his childhood and New Jersey. all the ranks of the Yankees. And his, obviously, Hall of Fame dating career as well is pretty interesting, too. But uh, it's fun to watch. So if you get the chance, go ahead and go do that. Let's go ahead and get to the trade deadline, Skyler. This is the meat and potatoes. It's time. <laughs> so first off, we're going to go over not every single trade, but a lot of the trades that happened uh, in the past week and a half or so to kind of just fill you in on what's going on uh, with the moves themselves. And then from there, we'll get into the, our more opinionated stuff and whatnot. Uh, but back on July 22nd, where we kind of got our first move with Daniel Vogelbach going to the Mets. After that, we had, we'll go to Andrew Benatendi on July 27th, going to the Yankees for three prospects. After that, we have Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal going to the Mets from the Reds for a couple prospects. 29th, July 29th is when we got our first big, big trade with Luis Castillo going to the Mariners from the Reds for four prospects, two big ones, Edwin Arroyo and uh, Noel V. Marte, who was the number one prospect for the Mariners and is a top 20 prospect in all of baseball. Dodgers acquired Chris Martin from the Cubs for Zach McKinstry. couple of decent names there, but nothing crazy. Rays got David Peralta from the D-backs on July 30th. Uh, looking through it, I mean, it was a very slow start to the mm. trade deadline, I'd say. Once we get to August, so that's where things kind of heated up, and the Yankees acquired Scott Efros, who's been a really good reliever out of the bullpen for the Cubs this year for their number seventh prospect, Hayden Wesnensky. The Padres got a big one, Josh Hader from the Brewers for left-handed pitcher Taylor Rogers, Robert Gasser, Estuary Ruiz and Denilson Lamet. Denilson Lamet was actually just DFA'd by the Brewers, which is kind of interesting. Maybe 
A's go pick them up. We had a three-team trade where the Astros acquired outfielder and first baseman Trey Mancini from the Orioles. Uh, a couple other notable things would be Rays acquiring Jose Siri, the outfielder from the Astros in that trade, as well as Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott going to the Orioles in that. The A's big one was Frankie Montas and Lucharino going from the A's to the Yankees for Ken Waldachuk, J.P. Sears, Louise Medina, and Connor Bowman. So, or Cooper Bowman. We'll talk more about that yes. that trade in general once we get to the second half. Uh, Red Sox acquired Tommy Pham for, from the Reds for a player to be named later. Red Sox acquire Reese McGuire and a player to be named later from the White Sox for Jake Diekman. Astros acquire catcher Christian Vasquez from the Red Sox for a couple prospects. Cardinals got Jose Quintana and Chris Stratton from the Pirates for a couple of prospects. Brewers acquire Matt Bush from the Rangers for infielder Mark Matthias and a left-handed pitcher. Mark Matthias, I believe, is from the Bay Area, too. So that's kind of cool there. Braves acquire Robbie Grossman. We know how good he is. Maybe a couple of us will talk about that move later on in the show as well, depending on how good we think that one was. Uh, but they got a prospect back in that. Twins got Sandy Leone. That's not much. Kind of sucks. Uh, Cardinals acquire Austin Allen from the A's. A little minor move there. Nothing much. They just got a 21-year-old reliever back in that one. Blue Jays acquired Mitch White and Alex DeJesus from the Dodgers for a couple of prospects. Mitch White's actually pretty good, so mm-hmm. good pickup by the Blue Jays there. I don't know why the Dodgers wanted to deal him. Kind of reminds me of the Ross Stripling trade a couple years ago. Mets acquired Michael Givens from the Cubs, so some reliever help there for the Mets. Orioles acquired Brett Phillips from the Rays for cash. That's not a big move, but Brett Phillips is kind of a household name at this point, so good for him to see that he's getting another job. Uh, with the Orioles, Brewers acquired Trevor Rosenthal from the Giants. If you didn't know that Trevor Rosenthal was on the Giants, that's okay because he didn't play a single game for them. There's another one of these moves where the Mariners acquired Kirk Sally and Matthew Boyd from the Giants for a couple of prospects. Matthew Boyd, again, also just like Trevor Rosenthal, did not pitch at all for the Giants before getting traded. The Braves acquired Jake Odorizzi from the Astros for left-handed pitcher Will Smith. Twins acquire Jorge Lopez from the Orioles. That's a big trade there. Orioles closer, very good this year, goes over to Minnesota. Blue Jays acquire Anthony Bass and Zach Pop from the Marlins for shortstop prospect Jordan Groshans. Groshans, really high prospect, but he's been pretty bad this year. So that's why they were willing to give him up to get two relievers. Mets acquired Darren Ruff from the Giants for J.D. Davis, Thomas Sepsuski, and a couple other prospects. Phillies acquire Brandon Marsh from the Angels for catcher Logan Hop. Oh, Hop. I mean, uh, pretty interesting trade there. That one was kind of confusing from the Angels on my perspective, at least, on why they would trade a center fielder who's been one of their big prospects. And I mean, I guess if Logan O'Hop turns into something good, then it's going to all be worth it for them. Padres acquire infielder, outfielder Brandon Jury from the Reds. Pretty big deal there. Twins acquire acquire right-handed pitcher Michael Homer from the Tigers. Phillies get David Robertson from the Cubs. Cardinals acquire Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees for Harrison Bader and Cash. That's a weird one. Kind of just yeah. a player swap that we don't really see too often. 
Blue Jays acquire Whit Merrifield from the Royals for Samad Taylor and Max Castillo. So Blue Jays get an unvaccinated player. I assume that he'll end up probably getting vaccinated, though. They hope Braves so. Acquire right-handed pitcher Rafael Iglesias from the Angels for Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson. Rafael Iglesias is a headliner here, but it's good to note, or very interesting to note, that Jesse Chavez is now the most traded player in all of baseball. He's been huh. traded ten times or eleven times down his career, I think. Twins acquire Tyler Maley from the Reds for three prospects. Those prospects are pretty good uh, as well, but. Their names aren't listed here, so I can't really find them. Phillies acquire Noah Syndergaard, a.k.a. Thor, from the Angels for former number one pick Mickey Moniak, as well as another prospect. Red Sox acquire Eric Hosmer, Max Ferguson, and another prospect for left-handed pitcher Jay Groom. So cap dump there by the Padres as they get rid of their first baseman. They're also going to be paying for a lot of that contract as well, Mm. so... Decent deal for the Red Sox where they're going to get a, a pretty solid first baseman and not have to pay him much. Dodgers acquired Joey Gallo from the Yankees for a prospect. And then the big one, Padres acquire Juan Soto and Josh Bell from the Nationals for Luke Voigt, Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel III, James Wood, and Yarlan Susana. That's, that's all we got. Yeah. Uh, that was a long time, so... We'll get right into it now on our stuff. Uh, so who's the biggest winner of the trade deadline besides the obvious one in the San Diego Padres? Or who are the, the winners, yeah. I'd say? Not yeah. I really like what the Phillies did here. Uh, getting Brandon Marsh, uh, it's obviously not working out with Moniak and uh, some of the other guys they've tried out there. So there's a guy with control. Sendergaard, great, man. I mean, not an awesome season, but recently has been tearing it up. Billy seeing another starter. They got David Robertson, closer right there, who's been awesome this year. Edmundo Sosa, and they're currently in the wild card. You know, this is a uh, this is a perfect move for them. A lot of teams in the National League are selling this year, so to be able to get a decent haul like this should help. Uh, also got the Yankees, uh, Montas Trevino, Benintendi, Efras. They kept their top three prospects. That's big. Yeah, and yeah. The the winners that I have besides San Diego, the Yankees, like Skyler said, Montas, Trevino, Benatendi, or not? Yeah, Benatendi, uh, Harrison Bader, and Seth Efros. Uh, they didn't give up any of the top top prospects, so it was a good trade deadline haul from them, and a good job by Brian Cashman there. I also have the Braves. They get a all star caliber closer in Rafael Iglesias, as well as a pretty solid outfielder in Robbie Grossman, and a solid bottom line uh, starter with Jake Odorizzi. And then I also have the Reds here. I think they did really good on their hauls from the, the trades that they made with their pitchers. Uh, Noelvi Marte, obviously the headliner. Edwin Arroyo is a big one. Spencer Steer. And then Encarcion Strand. I forget what his first name is. I guess he's having a really good year. That's one of the guys they got back from the Twins in that Tyler Maley trade. Uh, and uh, He was ranked pretty high on the prospects list of the guys that got traded. So good job by the Reds there. What about the opposite side, Skyler? Who are some yeah. of the biggest losers of the deadline? Washington's fans got to be pretty big up on the list yeah. there, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. So I'll talk about Baltimore here. Um, kind of surprising jump up here for Baltimore. And we knew they would sell some guys, but Lopez Mancini and a good amount of money without trying to pick up major league ready guys, the prospects they got, I'm not going to bash anybody because we don't know yet, but they weren't overwhelming. 
Um, I, I we talked about this before. I think they could have gotten Scott Efros's of the world on their team, but uh, they went with younger guys. Yeah, it's the the Orioles were one of the more confusing teams in this deadline. We didn't really know if the what their strategy was going to be, if they were going to sell, if they were going to buy. They kind of went on the slight sell part. They gave up the the rental pieces such as Jorge Lopez or Trey Mancini, but they didn't buy anything. And I think that's what Skyler's main point was mm. there. Uh, but I did see somebody was saying, I don't know if it was their GM or somebody within the organization that they're, they wanted to stay on track here. They're a team that's ahead of schedule at this point on the rebuild. So they didn't want to give up any of their prospects to go get something to go and try to obtain and a five seed or not actually ready. Yeah, obtain a five seed or a six seed and just get bounced out of the playoffs so quickly. Yeah. Uh, so they hold on, held on to their capital and did what they wanted to do there. But I'd be pretty pissed if I was an Oriole fan because I want to win, obviously, at that point. The losers that I have, one got to be the White Sox. They only got Jake Diekman out of this whole entire trade deadline. And that is terrible because this roster needs help, man. They are just so... They're sloppy. They're such a sloppy team. They don't do a lot of things right. Uh, and they're shitty coach. They're very poorly co- managed by uh, La Russa. So uh-huh. only getting Jake Diekman is not something that I like from them. And then the Dodgers only got uh, Joey Gallo. They gave up Mitch White. And they missed on Soto and Hap. I'm not really criticizing that Gallo move. I think that's going to end up working out pretty well for them uh, in relation to how he did in New York. But giving up Mitch White, who's been pretty solid for them, and then not getting an Ian Happ or Juan Soto, and not even getting them, but also having those guys go to their division. I know Ian yeah. Happ didn't get moved, but Juan Soto, Brandon Jury, a couple guys that the Dodgers were in on, both going to their divisional rival, is what makes it worse. What about our most underrated deal, Skyler? What do you got? I'm going to say pretty much everything Minnesota did here. They needed a lot of pitching. They just weren't competitive enough offers for the big guys, but they ended up getting Tyler Molly or a Lopez and Michael Fulmer for pretty cheap here. I'll also say the Mets, um, no big names. Some people were upset, but rough Naquin and Vogelbach have been a lot better than JD Davis and Dom Smith this year. It's true. It's true. Uh, most underrated deal that I got is Brandon jury going to the Padres just cause it's not talked about. I feel like if any other team made this move, it'd be, talked about pretty heavily but since it was probably the Padres third best move in this trade deadline yeah. it's not going to get that attention and Brandon Drury's a great player he can hit for power play solid defense plays a whole bunch of different positions and he's a guy who probably would want to stay in San Diego considering their future and what they got going on over there so I think that's a big move for the Padres and it's going to be something that's going to help them out once they get to the playoffs so we know the San Diego Padres perspective of the Juan Soto deal. You get this generational talent. You get this all-star caliber first baseman. But we got to look at the Nationals perspective, too. And a lot of people are saying, oh, how could you do this? You trade your generational talent. You traded or you didn't trade, but you gave up Bryce Harper a couple years back. Anthony Rendon, uh, Steven Strasburg's turned to shits. And all these guys that they've had on the roster are just gone now at this point. But what would, is your view on the Soto deal from the Nationals' perspective? I think, yeah, it's it's pretty sad. Uh, but you know what? They did try to sign him, and he said no. Um, I think it's better to 
trade him than watch it walk for nothing. I think they got a good return, but the big thing for me was including Bell in the same trade. I wouldn't have done it. I think it could have been a separate huge haul from someone like Houston. Uh, and maybe that's why Houston said, and when I say settle, Mancini's an awesome guy, but mm-hmm. I, I would take Bell over him based on this season. Uh, and I think he could have gotten a big haul from Houston for Bell or any other yeah. team that needed hitting. That's true. I think the Nats did as about as good as they could with a, a trade to the Padres. I think yeah. they probably could have gotten more if they traded Soto to the Cardinals, but it seems like mm-hmm. they're very reluctant to put in Dylan Carlson into that trade. So I don't blame them for not going to St. Louis there. And this is when Juan Soto's value is going to be the highest. If you wait any longer, his value is going to go down a little bit. So you're not going to be able to get maybe that James Wood or Mackenzie Gore in that deal. But they did about as good as they possibly could. C.J. Abrams, we know he's super young. He's got a lot of good tools in his game. He's super fast, good fielder, hits for contact. The power isn't quite there yet, but maybe ends up being a 15 to 20 homer guy once he gets to the peak of his career. Robert Hassel is a stud. This guy's going to be probably an all-star at some point in his career. I think that's a good addition there. Mackenzie Gore, we've seen him be pretty good at some points in this year. I know he's hurt right now, but it ends up not being too big of an issue with his elbow. And if it stays that way, now it's going to look pretty good for him as well. James Wood, a lot of people are super, super high on. He's got a chance to turn into one of the best players probably in the National League at some point in his career if he has everything go right there. He is still super young, though, so that's pretty far out. Luke Voigt, kind of just a toss-in at that point. Uh, the deal was originally with Hosmer. Hosmer said no. Hosmer goes to the Red Sox. Voigt goes to the Nationals. And then that brings up the biggest question of how much does Luke Voigt hate Eric Hosmer right now? <laughs> and I would say probably a lot. And the last guy, Yarlin, uh, Susanna, I have I don't even know who that is. So I think the Nationals did good. It just sucks giving up your best player. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and send it to halftime. Let's go. Uh, we'll start. You want to keep going? Yeah, let's keep going. Man. All right. So we'll start off halftime with Deshaun Watson. We found out a couple days ago his suspension would be for six games. But today, right before the show, we find out Roger Goodell and the NFL, they're appealing the six-game suspension. They want more. Um, and seven minutes ago, Ian Rappaport said, this is likely going to federal court. So we don't really know what's going to go on here. Yeah. Uh, the, the suspension is pretty disappointing. Uh, that's the general thought of everybody, uh, around the league and just around the situation in general that doesn't really know football. Pretty disappointing. Pretty disappointing. A guy like Calvin Ridley, I know NFL sets these super high standards of, oh, you can't bet on games and stuff, but comparative to what Deshaun Watson did, you have to give him a, um, at least the same as what he gave, as what the NFL gave Ridley, and hopefully ends up getting to about that same point where he at least gets a year uh, from the NFL and we don't see Watson in, until 2023. Mm. All right. So, um, also bad news. Let's just get it out of the way. Tim Patrick. Broncos receiver tore his ACL. He's out for the year. It's the Bronco receiver curse. That's the third receiver in uh, recent memory. It was torn their ACL for Denver. And uh, I know, you know, it's not like you're celebrating the injury, but you got to think a big injury like this uh, is going to affect the Broncos a lot, you know, especially such a tight division. You got to think they're going to be preseason favorites for the four spot now. 
Yeah, I mean, I never was super high on Tim Patrick. Obviously, yeah. this injury sucks, and I'm not saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal or anything like that. But I was never super high on him, and that Broncos receiving core in general is never something I was like, oh, this this is the part of their team that's going to win them some football games because Jerry Judy has had a very questionable career so far. He's had a lot of drops. If he can't fix that, then he's not going to be a reliable target for Russell Wilson. Cortland Sutton's good, but he's another guy who's coming off a pretty big injury in the past year or two. So we don't know how that's going to go for them, but a uh, tough, tough break for the Broncos. Yeah. Uh, some more receiver news, some good ones though. Mm. Here, Debo Samuel, 49ers receiver, finally gets the extension three years, 71 and a half million. And as of right now, as a Jets fan, I'm completely fine with this. Um, yeah. I am okay. Not having that contract on the books for me. If I don't know what this guy's willing to do for me. But good for the Niners. If it sounds like he still has a good relationship with everyone over there, so do your thing, San Francisco. Yeah, we'll see how much he plays running back and stuff like that. Because he said that he didn't want to do that a couple months back. But I assume now that he signed his contract, he's not going to care and just going to want to win football games. But something I want to talk about is the receiver market being reset. There's been a lot of guys who have signed for over twenty million dollars a year this uh, past offseason. I think there's eleven or twelve guys now at this point. And it really it, wide receivers are getting quarterback money, which is kind of crazy to think. Oh yeah. Um, one last thing for NFL football here, Miami dolphins owner, Steven Ross got into some trouble earlier, a little bit of tampering most notably with Tom Brady on his yacht and Miami's going to lose some picks here next year's first round pick the year after that's third round pick. That's huge. This is a team that, a lot of people are uncertain about. Uh, yeah. So not having that first round pick, I mean, that is probably the biggest penalty you can have. Yeah. 31 picks in the first round next yeah. year. That's going to be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, baseball signing extension here. Joe Musgrove through all the, uh, the trade heat got his back five years, a yeah. hundred million. He's just been so solid his entire time in uh, in San Diego. He, you know, he's good in Pittsburgh too, but. San Diego kids stays in San Diego, which is pretty cool to think. And now he's reunited with one of his former, team, former teammates in yeah. Pittsburgh, Josh Bell. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we got in halftime, uh, just a horrible week for, for sports legends here. Vince Scully and Bill Russell, uh, both passing away. Vince Scully, the Dodgers broadcaster legendary 94 i believe yeah and bill russell one of the greatest basketball players of, of all time one of the greatest coaches of all time guys at 88 yeah i think the thing to take away from this is the ages of these guys though vince goley being 94 yeah. and bill russell being 88 when you think about a seven footer you probably think the lifespan of those guys is what 70 years old it See, is pretty bill crazy russell living yeah. out to nearly 90 is so I wouldn't say cool. it's cool to see that he got to live that long is what I'm saying. And he got to obviously experience a lot of cool things in his lifetime. It was a lot of bad things as well, but is one of is the NBA's greatest winner of all time. You can say that uh, for sure. And then Vince Scully getting to 94 doing work for the Dodgers up until four or five years ago at this point. It's pretty crazy. Uh, this guy's been, he's been with baseball as long as, Baseball's been around, it seems like, mm-hmm. uh, even though that's not realistically true. 
but he's you see photos of him with Jackie Robinson when he see when when he was in his thirties and forties, and you see photos with him and Mookie Betts and stuff just a couple years ago, uh, which is it's kind of crazy to think. Uh, and our R.I.P. to Vince Bully and Bill Russell. Like you were saying, honestly, I think that might be the most important part of these guys' legacy is being able to hear their stories in today's world because we've talked about it before. Will Chamberlain is kind of a myth at this point. Yeah. Uh, but we get to hear it straight from Bill Russell. Like, no, no, he was the greatest athlete I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. No, it is not a myth, you know. So, yeah, if you trust Bill Russell, then uh, you have a better understanding. Same thing with Vince Gulley with a guy like Jackie Robinson. Yeah, and uh, that's about it for halftime. So, let's take it back to the trade deadline, second half. Alrighty, welcome back to the second half where we're starting off with our player, pitcher, and rookie of the week. We'll start from the back this time. Who's your rookie of the week, Skyler? Okay, the rookie of the week's got to be James Outman, the Dodgers outfielder. Five for six to start off his career. Homer in his first AB. Just crazy. I made a lot of stubs and it will be the show because of him. So thank you, James Outman. (laughs) Not a bunch of them. My rookie of the week is not going to be Mr. Outman. I'm going with Spencer Strider, who went six and two-thirds innings, three hits allowed, one earned run, one walk, and the big kicker here, 13 strikeouts from the the rookie. Uh, He's amazing. There's a reason why I picked him to be my Cy Young next year, and congrats to Spencer Strider. On to pitcher of the week, Skiller. I'm going to go with Kevin Gosman. Eight shutout innings, one hit, one walk, 10 Ks at Tampa Bay. Awesome week for him. But also, Brad Keller had pretty much the same exact game in seven innings at Chicago. So I got him next to each other. I went with Gosman. So yeah, pretty similar stuff there. And then player of the week, I think we probably have the same person here. Is it Aaron, Aaron Judge? Yeah, it's Aaron Judge. Yeah, eight Come for on, 20 man. on the week, five <laughs> homers, 11 <laughs> RBIs, eight walks, He's he's playing road of the show. That's what he's doing right now. He he's un, unbeatable. And uh when the Yankees give him a day off like today, they lose. So what are you doing, Yanks? You wanna go straight to the judge talk now? Since we're on the topic? Sure, we'll we'll, we'll do the judge right. talk now and then we'll skip back and go uh to the A's. But Aaron Judge has forty three homers right now. It is August third, and it begs the question, man. It really, really does. I think he's on pace for six, 68 homers right now. Is it actually possible that this man can hit 70 homers in a season? It's looked at as like this impossible thing, only done by steroids. I think there's only been people who have hit 70 who have used yeah. steroids. Uh, but can Aaron Judge actually do it this year? Can he? Like you said, he's on pace for 67, 68. Not sure exactly what it is today. And I don't want to say it's impossible. But I'm going to say the more realistic feat would be to say he's going to break Roger Maris's 61 home run record for the American League. I think he can absolutely do that. That's as far as I'm willing to go right now. Yeah, once we get up to like 61, 62, that, that part, everything's just so unknown, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, for this, I hope he hits 70, but I just, I think it's too impossible, man. If he hits high sixties, if he gets low sixties, imagine if he bet on himself, he turned down the Yankees and he hit 70 home, well, even just breaking <laughs> Roger Maris's record. That'd be the biggest F you to New York. Yeah. And then size Cherry with the on Mets top. With the Mets. in the off season. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't think he will end up in 70. But 60, 
Let's book it right now. Let's book yeah. that three hundred and fifty million dollar contract that he's gonna get in the offseason. Last thing to talk about, completely away from three hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, we gotta talk about the A's and how they did in, in their deadline because we are A's fans, obviously, and I feel like we should probably even be talking about them more within the show, week to week basis. Mm-hmm. Even though we suck right now, uh, there's still obviously stuff to talk about. So, what are your thoughts from an A's fan on, on this trade deadline? Yeah. Really, only that Montas deal, uh, but maybe talking on the aspect that we didn't trade Murphy, we didn't trade a Sam Mole, we didn't trade Loriano. Yeah. It was just. Montas and Loriano, or not Loriano, Trevino. Well, I'll start with the Montas trade. Um, huge for the Yankees. Got their frontline starter for the playoffs. Uh, even Blue Trevino's advanced numbers are awesome. You know, like six five ERA, but the FIP and the threes didn't have to give up the top three. Um, it would have been nice to get one of those stud shortstops because that's something we haven't had since Miguel Tejada. Um, but it's an understandable value drop after thinking about it a little more with Montas's injury history. Um, the ace biggest farm weakness was the pitching. They got a lot of guys who are going to be big leaguers at worst, which I like. Um, I understand why they didn't trade Murphy. I would have done it probably because Shay Langliers is 24 years old. We got to get him going. Mm. We got to do it. Even if he's not playing catcher, he's got to be up right now, in my opinion. Um, I still think we're a long ways away, but I can see a little bit of light coming from the tunnel here. I understand what the philosophy is right now. And it's better than being in the blind trading away everybody at once. Yeah. You still got a couple more guys to trade and it'll become more clear, but we got to suck for a couple more years. And I guess I'm okay with that. Yeah. That, 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 I, I agree with a lot of stuff that you're saying there. Uh, I want to touch upon the return that we got for Montas and Laurie or not Loriano. I keep on saying that. Yeah. Uh, Lou Trevino. I like Waldachuk a ton. I think he's got a possibility to be an ace or a two guy in our rotation with pitching in Oakland and the strikeout numbers that he can put up. Luis Medina is this freak of nature dude who's 23 years old and can throw 103. Mm-hmm. The only problem with him is his control. And if he settles it down, which I hope he does, he can end up being another one of those dudes who's a top of the rotation guy. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why the A's actually traded for him. His His floor, though, Back of the bullpen guy. Any guy who can throw strikes and not have like an eight walks per nine is yeah. going to be in the back of a bullpen. Whether it's a setup set man, seventh inning guy, or even a closer, he's going to have that possibility. Uh, and so I think it's a good trade there on getting those guys. JP Sears looks like he could be a four or five starter. Decent one of those guys in the back end of a rotation. I think that's something that's super big for for teams and contenders when you look at it is the depth of a rotation. Yankees obviously have that. That's one of the reasons why they've been so good this year. Uh, and they even were so good enough to even trade away one of their guys short of Montgomery to the Cardinals uh, yesterday. But JP Sears is a guy I like. He is already 26, though, so probably should have him up right now. And then Cooper mm-hmm. Bowman, don't know too much about him. I know he's pretty fast and he has some pop to him. He had a home run yesterday in his first game with the Lansing lug nuts. Nice. So that was pretty good to see there, but uh, maybe at best the utility infielder guy, Chad Pender type of the future, maybe Hey, we're good at developing those guys though. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, Sean Murphy not being traded, I think was pretty interesting. 
I think the Guardians were the main team that was in on him, and that would have been something that I would have pulled the trigger on if I could have got a guy like George Valera or Gavin Williams back from them. Because if you get Gavin Williams, who's a bit lower prospect than George Valera, who's an mm-hmm. outfielder in that Guardian system, Grab an you set up too. your rotation for the future. Because yeah. it looks like Hoglin's going to be a stud. It looks like JT Jen might be in that rotation as soon as next year or the year after. Gusick, once he gets healthy, has electric stuff. Waldachuk, we've been talking about. And Medina, if he gets his stuff going, he can obviously be in that spot too. Uh I am pretty upset that we weren't able to get that super top guy in mm-hmm. that Montas deal. But this this return that we got is the return that we've had in mind for the last couple of months. The only reason why we were focused on Peraza and stuff the last few days was because of what the Reds got back for uh, Luis Castillo. But that was – they Mariners overpaid so much. That yeah. was that was never going to be guy. a realistic possibility for us to go ahead and get those guys. So I think the A's did good with what they did there. Uh, and then it's touched on Skyler's point to get one of those, those main guys as well uh, where we haven't had one of those since Miguel Tejada. I think our, our in to get one of those stud, maybe not shortstops, but just three hitters that is going to steal, is going to hit bombs, is this first overall pick next year if we get yep. that. Because mm-hmm. if we get a Dylan Cruz who can hit 330 and 40 bombs and just go crazy, that's going to be our guy. That's the guy who you build around in your in – your, and I was going to say franchise – like it's MLB the show, but <laughs> yeah. that's the guy who you build around. If you are that athletics organization of the future, we just got to hope that we get them. And I think that's the main thing there. I like the picks that we made a couple of weeks ago with Bolte, Elliot, uh, Susak, and all of those other guys. Uh, I can definitely, Skyler said, see the light. I can see that light as well. I understand the blueprint now a bit more. Mm-hmm. We we don't just have catchers to have catchers. We have Langeliers to play catcher and be that guy of the future. We have Soderstrom to hit probably in the middle of the order for us in the future when, and come up when he's 21 or 22 years old. We have Geloff who looks like he's going to be an early part of the order bat in the future. Jordan Diaz, who looks like he's going to be a stud. Denzel Clark, who looks like he can play some solid defense and speed and power and have that into the future. Pache, if he comes around offensively, is obviously going to be a big time player in the future. But uh, we got to stick it out for a couple years. That's mm-hmm. the main thing. We got to stick it out. We got to weather the storm until 2024, 2025. Once we get that ballpark, shovels in the ground, that's when you take off. And once that ballpark opens is when you sign your big guy as well. So I understand the, the, all these trades is what I'm trying to say. I think they did decent. Yes. By the way, I kind of think uh, Cleveland was just chicken on the Murphy trade. That's why it didn't happen. I don't really think it was us saying, no, oh, let's hold on. Yeah. It's Cleveland. They didn't so do anything weird, uh, on their, their yeah. catcher spot because they, they have Austin hedges and Luke Maley who are both like pretty shitty catchers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. Sorry about that. I cut out, and I think I might have cut out. And nope, we're good. We're good yeah. there. But uh, yeah, my Wi-Fi is <laughs> a little unstable. So sorry about done. that. Uh, <laughs> but the gist is, I think the A's did decent for this trade deadline. 
Yeah. Go ahead and get to our best. And let's get on out of here before I lag out again. Uh, last week, me and Skyler did really good in our layups. I had the Dodgers over the Nationals on Wednesday. One of Juan Soto's last games with the Nats and the Dodgers. That one, they scored six in the first against Patrick Corbin. And then Skyler had the Blue Jays over the Detroit Tigers on Thursday. And that did happen as well. This week, I had the Astros over the Cleveland Guardians on Thursday. That is a Verlander start day. So I have them winning that one. Uh, yeah, I got Seattle over the Angels on Friday night. That's Robbie Ray against Patrick Sandoval. Pretty simple here. Seattle at home. They usually take care of L.A. We're cutting out a little bit, but we're just trying to end to the finish line right now. Let's get to our bold predictions now uh, where we both messed up. We both didn't get them right. I had the Brewers sweep in Boston. That was a three-game series. The Brewers won that series in Boston, but weren't able to take it all the way home with the sweep on Sunday. And Skyler had Washington winning the series versus St. Louis Got a little over cocky. the weekend, and that did not happen. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it did not happen. This week, I have the Mets and the Braves. They play a four-game series of so the doubleheader on Saturday. I'm saying that they split it. No team wins. No team sweeps. It's a split. All right. Uh, I also like some of this uh, Astros over Cleveland action here. So I'm going to take the Astros three out of four in the four-game series at Cleveland. Uh, This is when Cleveland's going to start falling apart. They haven't done much to help out their boys. And uh, Minnesota's going all in, man. It's about it. You mean Houston? (laughs) Houston's going all in? No, for the division at least. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gotcha. what I was thinking. So I know sense. it was, you know, context, my bad. But yeah, oh, that's good. the whole predictions. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. That's going to do it for episode 99 on Wednesday. Yeah. That is a uh, second episode I think we've done on a Wednesday. Yeah. But look out next week for the big one zero zero. Maybe an NFL preview for the season. Maybe. We shall see. It's going to be a fun one. Mm -hmm. See you then. Yep. Go Lansing Lugnuts. Adios. Go Rock Council.